Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Unreasonable Art of Living podcast. I'm your host, Gerhard, and as always, enjoy this beautiful music. Yeah, welcome back to another episode of the Unreasonable Art of Living podcast. Um, very excited. As first, first and foremost, as always, I hope you're doing fine wherever you are right now. It's Christmas time, it's December. It's the end of a cycle, whole year, quite exciting. Um, yeah, a lot of, yeah, how to say, good opportunity for closure and a good opportunity for reflection and setting attention for the next cycle. It's always, always a very interesting time around this year. And yeah, wow, that, to be honest, like I think I mentioned this the last episode. Of, there have been so many guest episodes now the last The last uh, three, I think three episodes, quite not sure. Yes, I think so. <laughs> And um, I thought, oh, I actually really miss, um, I really was looking forward to a solo episode again. Because even though we don't see each other, we're not in the same kind of like physical room, I, feel, I still feel like when I have these solo episodes where it's just you and me, my dear listener, I feel like still we're having, yeah, a very special moment actually, where very, yeah. It's an exchange still, in a sense, even though we don't literally speak to each other. <laughs> Let me just prepare my delicious black tea. One second. I need to remove the tea bag. And I hope I don't spill anything on my MacBook. <laughs> yeah, wow. Okay, so we have we have to catch up a lot. <laughs> No, yeah, not a lot, but uh, quite quite a decent amount. Uh, first and foremost, yeah, I think I hope you have been enjoying the last episodes. There have been in, it has been a new format. I've been now using also like Split from Riverside for remote guest episodes. I hope you, um, yeah, the, hope you enjoyed the last the last episodes. And thank you so much for everyone reaching out for uh, giving this podcast a, a rating, and um, it really means a lot to me. And if you want to support this podcast, uh, yeah, please give it a five-star rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, share with a friend. And uh, most importantly, yeah, come back. And um, if you find value in this and you come back to listen to this, and I can see people listening to this podcast, it means <clears throat> a lot to me. And uh, that's, uh, yeah, it really keeps me going. And actually, I noticed, uh, because uh, the other day I wanted to... Uh, support another <clears throat> podcast on Spotify and I wanted to give it a five-star rating and the, the UI changed in the app so you now have to actually click on the about tab so you can even give a rating. It took me actually a few minutes to figure out where to give this uh, podcast a rating. So they were kind of like, because back in the days you could just click on the stars and give it a rating. Now you have to kind of click on the tab about and then you can give it a rating. I don't know why they made it so complicated. It shouldn't be. But sometimes... Yeah, and often, you know, in software development and product development, we just try things out and see how they are doing. <laughs> All right. Maybe a good opportunity to reveal my Lumi score this week. And I haven't mentioned it the last week, but it has been really high, good 
constant uh, today to so this week has been 4.11 and the last two three weeks has been 4.2 4.1 um 4.2 so it has been actually <laughs> quite consistent and i must say what another beautiful thing behind this method is and actually i'm, I'm reading at the moment also about uh, a lot about positive psychology but there's a lot of alignment with the Lumi method and the areas that are kind of like being measured or become more aware of it, that we all have kind of like a signature strength. For example, for some people, um, it contributes a lot, a lot to well-being. So this is by Martin Seligman. Oh man, I hope I pronounce his name not right. Let me just quickly Google it. Uh, of course. Martin Seligman, yes. Um, so he's the kind of like almost father figure behind positive psychology, great books and, um, positive psychology very, is a very evidence-based, um, modality and psychology. And it's really asked the question because it's very uh, beautiful why he started the field of positive psychology, because so often in psychology, we were all so focused about mental illnesses and how to treat, um, depression, anxiety, where it comes from. But he was actually flipping the narrative is like how do we prevent this and focus on helping people to strive and uh, focus on the on the well-being what is well-being what is the holistic well-being why are people more optimistic than others and how does for example optimism and a positive attitude and what else um crit and courage and you know willpower and like framing things differently in, in a positive way actually can contribute to your um, health things like gratitude and yeah self-awareness and being just aware of all these areas and this is the field of positive psychology very 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 fascinating and he talks about that we have something called uh, strength signatures yes strength signatures so we all so think about like, so now I've been measuring Lumi, my Lumi's, so to say, in my nine categories. I can repeat it. Also for first-time listeners, so Lumi is a method I've been using for three and a half years where it started from the question, how do I know how am I doing? And I came up for myself um, nine categories that are very meaningful to me. That's career, friends, family, mental health, body health, love, sleep, creativity, and learning. And for the last three and a half years, I sat down every Sunday and measured them on a rate scale from one to five, five being the best, one the worst. And then kind of like it helped me to become very aware of um, how am I doing on a weekly basis in a very simple and easy way to capture how do I know am I doing. It's kind of like a mirror for your own soul. You know, we have our mirrors and our scales for our body to see how we're doing. We can, we know our weight, we see if we've gained muscles or but we actually haven't really come up with a good way to capture our inner world and develop a sensitivity. And for me, there was the Lumi method. And I've been, yeah, more, to, more about it uh, in a second. So Martin Seligman talks about something called your signature strength. And over time, you develop a sensitivity, which areas contribute more to your sense of well-being and your joy and your happiness. And he talks about, for example, that his hunger for learning, that, you know, like, if he feels like he learns or he can still his hunger and curiosity, this kind of like area contributes much more to his sense of well-being and also like influences his other areas in his life in a positive way. 
And for me, for example, what I've developed in the last three and a half years, if I look at this uh, chart, very strong, also like very strong signature strength for areas in my life are definitely creativity, learning, sleep. And um, yeah, so kind of like these are the top ones. If they, for me, are satisfied, they have a very positive impact on all the other areas. My friends, my love, Lumi, my sleep, mental health, body health. Um, of course, sleep is also like a very fun fundamental area. And I think the beauty about the Lumi method, it helps you to identify what is your strength signature. Where do you double down? Which do you protect even more? And where you can see uh, where you drift apart. And so this score has been 4.1 this week again. <laughs> and the only down, so yeah, last week. So when you hear, for, listen for the first time, some of your listeners, you know, I've been on Vienna. I quit my job two months ago to really double down on Lumi. So the idea is me and my co-founder, Niklas, we're working on a product, a digital version app called uh, MyLumi or Lumi. We're not sure yet. And it's really an app that helps you to understand how you're doing in your life, but also helps you to provide you with tools that can help you to explore and experiment, experiment in various areas of your life. And yeah, so the last three weeks, three and a half weeks in Vienna, I've been working full time on it from Monday to Sunday. But don't worry, I also know how to kind of like maintain this kind of speed. So it's very important to implement active recovery, to know, take care of your sleep, your body, nutrition. Then you can maintain this kind of like, yeah, everyday way of creating. And for me, it has been so rewarding and such an, I felt so credit, such a deep gratitude towards that I can do this at this part, in this time of my life. And at this point, yeah, really, uh, there's no, doesn't matter the outcome of it. I've been, it has been already a rewarding experience and the best decision in my life to quit the job so I can really fully commit on it and also like take this podcast part of this journey and has been so far, I've met and many, many amazing people and uh, I've been able to talk to them and share their wisdom and their life story. So Wow. Hmm. The only downer, and this is part of the journey, I'm, I'm going to be always transparent. So there's like a few things that happened this weekend. So I mean, there is a feeling in me that um, A, in the next 6 to 12 months, I would like to, or we would like to be with Lumi for a few months in Silicon Valley, just to learn and kind of like instill this energy into the product in our company. Or oh, this is what I think. Uh, there's just a feeling that I would love to spend a few months there. And so there are two many ways to get there. One way pathway is the Y Combinator. It's like the biggest accelerator in the world. that uh, has many, many top startups went there. And um, you apply there, I think, two times a year. It's very hard to get in. And we also applied this year, but it was so that you can apply. There's like a deadline. And after the deadline, there's something called a late application. And the chances that you get in are very, very tiny because uh, it's just a late application and they just, yeah, they just keep it open. So we applied and submitted for the late application. And my, of course, my expectations were at 1% chance. Uh, we are still 
quite early and we still have to kind of like prove some hard traction. But yes, still, it always sucks when you actually get, <laughs> because there's always like a little bit of hope. But uh, we got the rejection last Friday and it, you know, it always, for a moment, it sucks. And then you just have to allow it to suck, to be honest, and um, then move on. And there's always a moment of brief hesitation and uh, doubt, of course, because, you know, at this point, I'm living off my savings and it's a bet, but I'm willing to take this bet. And luckily, uh, I have yeah opportunities to be in Vienna, work and stay at my dad's place. I can save on rent. I have a cool place to work at with amazing people. So I'm very grateful for this. And I'm very excited about the journey because the positive, the upward, mm. the amazing thing that happened. Also, we started to invite people to an early, early bird round, a very exclusive uh round and we didn't really promote it much we didn't really on socials and we have so far more than 50 people signing signed up and simply on the basis on a few sentences what lumi is so i think that is already very interesting so there's no idea how the app looks like but just like how what problem it would solve and there's interest it's a beginning, a beautiful beginning um, to have a very like this amount of people for a very controlled, exclusive round to test the app, very early version to get feedback and and see where we are and where we should go. And yeah, I'm very excited. So we are planning to release the version early January. And if you're interested, so this is the first time, and actually, well, second time, I think I did in the previous episode, but if you're interested, go to Lumi. .io, so L-U-M-I-I.io, and there you can leave your email address. We still want to keep it very small and controlled. And there will be another campaign January where we're going to promote Lumi, the app, a bit more. Because we're very close to actually releasing a first version. It's very, yeah, it can be shared. And we want to, yeah, get the ball rolling. Very excited. So this has been my Lumi. Wow. We have 50 minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't started the main topic. <laughs> ah, black tea. Amazing. So, this week's topic was inspired by the previous episode with Brad. And we talked briefly about meditation. And he was like, it would be nice to share more about my journey, my learnings, and also like how to help people get an idea what meditation is, maybe inspire them to do it. And he was, yeah, very, it was a very good point. Let me just take my notes. Yeah. Because looking back, I mentioned this in my previous episodes, but I think the first time I really meditated was now seven years ago, seven and a half years ago. When I arrived in Helsinki, I went to the Zen Center in Helsinki. And it's at this point, you know, like seven years in, I mean, I, I meditate every 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 morning, <laughs> and for me, it has become just a very integral, inter, or important part. Pardon me, or integral part of my life. But you know, it's so easy to forget how the beginnings were, and they were quite difficult. And I think I wanted to share a bit more again about my journey towards meditation. 
what the key meditations I practiced, what I've learned through my years, but also realize like why meditation is actually has been also like kind of recommended for thousands of years by very, very, very wise people. And it keeps, it doesn't, you know, it always, it kind of like, it doesn't disappear. And uh, maybe also like provide some alternatives and like entry points towards meditation because in the end it's all about self-awareness. So let's start with my journey. I think you have, uh, if you're a seasoned listener, you've heard this before, but uh, seven years ago when I moved to Helsinki, I was curious to go to try Sen. Sen meditation at the Sen Center Helsinki. It's also called, um, yeah. Sen itself is kind of like a school of Mahayana Buddhism and originated in China during the Tang Dynasty as Chan Buddhism. And it actually st strongly emphasizes rigorous meditation practice. Um, it provides insight into the nature of the mind and also the personal expression of this insight into daily life. And it's more importantly, especially for the benefits of others. So Zen meditation is very, very pragmatic. And in their way, Zen meditation, there's not much, there's not a, there's not a doctrine. There's, you know, there's no belief, there's, no relig there's not really any, yeah, it has actually very little to do with Buddhism itself because it's very practical form of mindfulness. And in Zen, the path to enlightenment is achieved through meditation and mindfulness of the present moment, rather than through theoretical knowledge or the study of scriptures, what you have in Buddhism. So in, in Zen, the focus is really all about the direct experience rather than doctrinal studies. Um, this is kind of like the defining characteristic of Zen. And the funny part about Zen, it's a very cryptic actually. It's very cryptic and sometimes uh, the Zen masters or monks they give you kind of like riddles, something called koans. And the koans, the idea is to push practitioners beyond conventional dualistic thinking of reality. To help them achieve sudden and deep insights into the nature of reality and the self. And for some reason, it always attracted me. How Zen, like when you read books about Zen, it's always like a bit of a riddle you kind of like think about. It's about also kind of like um, intellectual exercise sometimes. And it's so practical, it's so simple. The first time I think I remember was uh, went to the Zen center and you just sit down, cross-legged or in the... What's other called? I think it's the Japanese style where actually you're not cross-legged, but you sit on your on your legs. Like so. <laughs> what is Let me just um, Google quickly. Zen sitting positions. The two forms. Mm, what are the names? What are the names for it? Uh, what is cross? Oh man, I'm just 
Ah, there. Okay, so there's the of course lotus position, or there's also called called the. Um, it's kind of more like the traditional Japanese sitting position where the knees in line with one another on the mat. Okay, basically, you're sitting on your knees. Yes. Anyways, not so important. But what's important in Zen is that you are sit and with your back straight. So you kind of like have very controlled gesture. And the first time you do it, uh, you just sit down, eyes... Actually, in Zen, you actually have the eyes slightly opened. But uh, nowadays, I practice with eyes closed. And all you do is you count to 10. So you breathe in, you count one, you breathe out, you count two. And your goal is, the very beginning, just to sit there and you count your breaths. And whenever you lose, you get lost in your thoughts, you start again. That's it. Nothing more. Good luck. Because <laughs> I remember when I did the first time, it was very, it was excruciating. It was exhausting. It was painful because like and it's part of it's good sign uh, because for the first time you kind of like become just very aware of the insane traffic in your mind because no, most of the day, time we just uh, take it for granted we just move along we walk through life and we don't even realize that there is a there's a distance between who we are and our thoughts and emotions and that we don't have to enact on them all the time. But actually that between stimulus and response, between what our thoughts are, emotions, there's like a, a space. And in this space lies our freedom of growth and control and how we respond and decide to respond. And also how we frame situations. And this is the key core concept of meditation is self-awareness that A, you can actually look within yourself and see become aware of the activities in your mind and that you can actually zoom out and create a safe distance between those activities. They don't disappear. I think that's the biggest misconception about meditation that you make your thoughts and emotions disappear. Mm -mm. Meditation and is all about just becoming aware and that's a good sign. Because mm -hmm. suddenly like, ooh, ooh, who am I then? Hello, inside there. It's very liberating. Mm. <laughs> it's beautiful. And so, yeah, so this is the basic. So this is how I started, Zen, Zen meditation. And I've tried it for at least one, one and a half years. And then, because once you start it, you get very curious. What else is out there? Do I, Am I doing it right? It's not really working because... The key aspect of meditation is actually if you have a restless body, it's actually quite good if you do something that actually very that activates your body and gets you out of your mind. If you're very a very 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 mind heavy person, maybe it's actually recommended to do something first that's more focuses on your body and kind of like crowns you more and kind of like gets you out of your head into your body feeling. That's also meditation. One way. Again, it does, there's, no, there's no one fit, one size fits it all. It's about trying out and see what, what works for you, your body and your mind. 
And then I, I tried something called the Self-Realization Fellowship, uh, which practices Kriya Yoga. And that was also quite interesting. Um, so Kriya Yoga is a form of yoga that emphasizes certain meditation techniques and spiritual practices. And it's actually a form of yoga that is more focused on the inner self and spiritual growth rather than physical postures or asanas. Because actually Kriya comes from the Sanskrit word Kri, meaning to do or action. And in Kriya Yoga, it refers to a set of practices mainly involving controlled breathing and meditation that are aimed to kind of like accelerate spiritual development and develop a profound state of tranquility. <laughs> and it was popularized in the West by, I hope I pronounce his name now right, Paramahansa Yogananda, especially for his book, An Autobiography of a Yogi. Beautiful book. I read it and then I kind of like, it's very, it was so a bit interesting because you go to the website of the Self-Realization Fellowship and then you sign up and it's a bit odd in nowadays with a lot of apps and <laughs> emails. <laughs> you sign up and you get, I think you receive on a monthly basis, actual mail. They would send you a mail from the United States with steps how to practice uh, Kriya Yoga. It was so interesting. It was like a, uh, you get like an A4. Every month you get a set of instructions <laughs> per mail. It was amazing. <laughs> and I tried this for at least half a year. And... It was about like whatever mantras. It was interesting breath exercises. But also I realized at that point, ah, okay, every meditation form has different kind of like colors and shapes and tastes. And because Kriya Yoga was, ah, the language they used was very visual and so different to Zen meditation, which Zen meditation was very practical and grounded in my opinion. Kriya Yoga was more like colorful and third eye and 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 how did um oh, I missed the word <laughs> what are you called the five point no yeah now I missed the word yoga and let's put this on me No. I'm just typing. Ah, of course, chakras. Oh my goodness. So first time I kind of like got introduced in the terms of, of chakras. And at this point I realized, okay, this, even though it kind of has the same goal, it didn't quite resonate with me at that point. Now it resonates a bit more because back then I was kind of like still bit wary about anything spiritual and the and the terms and the wordings so i couldn't really get into it but i tried it and it was a very interesting practice it was different to send eyes closed mantras were different softer and um, was about the third eye and about yeah very very different i think if i would probably would try it now i would probably connect much deeper with it than when i was back then And then I was a lot about the mindfulness meditation, non-dual meditation with Sam Harris. I really loved, I actually really love his app, Waking Up. One of, 
of all the mindfulness apps, I think Sam Harris's Waking Up app does an amazing job because it not only provides one form of meditation, it provides different kind of ones and also introduces audio podcast series to give people the knowledge behind it. But important, so if you think about it, so first, these were the key. I tried small things on the way as well. But first, the, the biggest part, the really laid the foundation for me was Zen meditation. It was very practical. Just focus on your breath. It's very easy, kind of like to get going. Then I tried Kriya Yoga and then non-dual meditation. And to be honest, what many people don't realize, meditation is really a commitment for life. You just don't do it on an on and off basis. It's really something, also the benefits come gradually and slowly. And I really get it. For most of us, we want to have change fast. We want to see results very fast. Because, you know, when, we, when you train your body or you lose weight, you, you see results in a few weeks or months. Meditation, it can take, of course, it varies from person to person, but in meditation, it it can take years before you see any benefits. For me, it took maybe after three years, suddenly the benefits started to tickle in. And nowadays, I have a much stronger connection meditation to really, yeah, like I can really, for me, it has become such an integral tool on a daily basis to start my day, to sink in with myself, with my inner world, to be connected with the universe, yes, and with my spiritual um, yeah, sense. And, oh, I have actually a video prepared by Ellen Watts. I think he talks, he was a very, he brought some meditation to the West. He did an amazing job doing that. I think the first four minutes are enough. And I think, yeah, enjoy. I must make it emphatic that Zen, in its essence, is not a doctrine. There's nothing you're supposed to believe in. And it's not a philosophy in our sense, that is to say, a set of ideas, an intellectual net in which one tries to catch the fish of reality. Actually, the fish of reality is more like water. It always slips through the net, and in water, you know, when you get into it, there's nothing to hang on to. All this universe is like water. It is fluid, it is transient, it is changing. And when you're thrown into the water after being accustomed to living on the dry land, and you're not used to the idea of swimming, you try to stand on the water, you try to catch hold of it, and as a result you drown. And the only way to survive in the water, and this refers particularly to the waters of modern philosophical confusion, where God is dead, metaphysical propositions are meaningless, and there's really nothing to hang on to, because we're all just falling apart. And the only thing to do under those circumstances is to learn how to swim. And to swim, you, you relax. You let go, you give yourself to the water, and you have to know how to breathe in the right way. And then you find that the water holds you up. Indeed, in a certain way, you become the water. And so in the same way one might say, if one attempted to Again, I say misleadingly to put Zen into any sort of concept, it simply comes down to this. 
that in this universe there is one great energy and we have no name for it. People have tried various names for it, like God, like Brahman, like Tao. But in the West, the word God has got so many funny associations attached to it that most of us are bored with it. When people say God the Father Almighty, most people feel funny inside. <laughs> and so we like to hear new words. We like to hear about Tao, about Brahman, about uh, Shingyo and uh, Tathata and such strange names from the Far East because they don't carry the same associations of mawkish sanctimony and funny meanings from the past. And actually some of these words that the Buddhists use for the basic energy of the world really don't mean anything at all. The word Tathata, uh, which is translated in, from the Sanskrit into suchness or thusness or something like that, uh, really means something more like da-da-da. Based on the word tat, which in Sanskrit means that, and so in Sanskrit it is said tattvam asi, that thou art, or in modern American, you're it. <laughs> but da, da, that's the first sound a baby makes when it comes into the world. Because the baby looks around and says da, 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 that. <laughs> and fathers flatter themselves and think it's saying da-da, which means daddy. But according to Buddhist philosophy, all this universe is one ta-ta-ta. That means 10,000 functions or 10,000 things, one suchness. And we're all one suchness. And that means that suchness comes and goes like everything else because this whole world is an on and off system. As the Chinese say, it's the yang and the yin. And therefore it consists of now you see it, now you don't, here you are, here you aren't, here you aren't. Because that's the very nature of energy, to be like waves, and waves have crests and troughs. Wow, yeah, this, um, I mean, it goes a bit deeper again, like, oof. understanding, um, yeah, I think the core, I mean, he uses Zen, Zen Buddhism, I think it's also very important, and there's no doctrine, there's no doesn't tell you how the how the world works or like it doesn't provide you with gods or any of that it's very practical it really helps you to just in practical means to understand become aware of of the nature of reality which means your own nature and for me when you say like you know like how did Buddha, how did meditation really help me i think it was um yeah, there were moments, not really like pleasant moments sometimes. It's not like when you become like an awakening moment or I will, I don't, I'm careful to say enlightening, enlightening moment, but definitely an awakening moment, moment. Like the process of waking up can be sometimes very brutal uh, because suddenly you, because you become so aware, you really train your mind to become aware of your inner world and um, your thoughts and emotions and also you, because then it, become very aware of, oh, wait a second, why did I do this? Why did I say this? This is not really aligned with my true nature, with the nature of the universe. It is aligned with fear or greed or, you know, self-doubt or anxiety or 
Ja, ähm. If greed, envy, all these kind of things, suddenly you become aware of like, oh wait, on what basis do I decide and live? And what basis did I make decisions in the past and I'm sticking to them? And this is a form of awakening. You're like, wake up, you're like, wow, how did I end up here? And then the ugly part, and sometimes beautiful part, again, as both parts are part of it, you have then the power to decide and course correct. And that's the liberating part of meditation. I don't say it's easy. I think it's a lie if someone comes to you and says, like, yeah, it's an easy thing. It's a simple thing, but simple doesn't imply easy. Sometimes simple means very difficult. Because keeping things simple, it's not easy. Actually, keeping things simple takes more effort than the other way around. But it's more liberating and more rewarding. And here we comes again to why very smart and wise people have been telling, communicating to us like why meditation is so important. Because it's a form of self-awareness, becoming self-aware of our own nature, which results in the nature of the universe and the nature of all of us. And like a body, we need to keep our mind and soul in shape. We just haven't really, hasn't become a focus of our society in this age of time. In this age. <laughs> we come to this world where our main focus is the mind and the body. But the mind, not in the sense that more like the, the, the rational mind, the ego. And you know, like like your your the lack of self-awareness and become not training your soul and mind. It's like a body. If you don't use it and take care of it, it becomes sick and weak. It decays. And the more you become a slave of your thoughts and emotions, because the tinier and smaller this space between stimulus and response becomes. And suddenly, this space becomes so tiny that it's almost the same, that there's almost no difference between your thoughts and emotions. And suddenly you feel like that's who you are and you have no control over it anymore. Suddenly, things like fear, insecurities, greed, envy, jealousy, they influence your actions and your thinking and you think that's that's normal there's no escape from it because like this the room between your stimulus and response is so tiny that it's that it becomes one and what meditation helps and in core self-awareness is creating this space between stimulus and response And the space becomes bigger and bigger the more you meditate or you, the more you practice any form of self-awareness. It can be through diaries, like journaling and diaries, through yoga, through meditation in terms of sitting down and practicing meditation. There's so many ways to practice self-awareness. So it's so important to understand meditation is one very powerful tool, but it takes time. But there are many ways to develop self-awareness. And one, one simple way is just 
writing a diary, for example. You don't need to go the spiritual path if you don't feel like that resonates with you because actually in the end, all of it is very practical. It's about creating this space between stimulus and response. So you become aware of your thoughts and emotions and your inner world. You develop a sensitivity. And again, within this space, within a space between stimulus and response, so something happens and you respond. And the more space you create, the more you can react and create your response. And within that space is your power and growth and agency in this world. Mm -hmm. Because in the end, it's so important because we've, you know, like we have forgotten, I think now medicine is catching, catching up that we are holistic beings. There's an interconnection between your soul, your mind, your body, everything. And not just within us, like all of it is connected with the rest of nature and the universe. And, and I think that's what many, or many people, not many, but um, Buddha already said, is like, it is actually one of the root causes. He argued that actually our identification with the body, that a lot of suffering stems from that, that we identify ourselves with the body. That's who we are. And if you have listened to many <laughs> previous episodes, I'm a big fan of Alfred Adler's work because he was a, psych yeah, he was a psychiatrist, but also very spiritual and philosophical, I would say. And he said that the root cause is interpersonal relationship issues. So when we grow up as a baby, you know, our body actually develops lower than our mind. And we always see like what other people can do, what we cannot do. And from that, they become kind of like a discrepancy develops. And there becomes kind of like there, we develop issues, like kind of like suffering. It's like, hey, I, I can't do this. So something must be wrong with me, my body. Always is comparing, this comparison with others. We look at, so it's so it's so fascinating that there's two layers. A the layer that we so often compare ourselves with other people and based on that create a create a benchmark of our value and our happiness. And then there's this layer that we actually listen to our own inner critics quite often. And we forget we completely forget that actually the, all the beauty in the universe lies within us, deep, deep within us. And all we have to do is just listen to our inner world and develop this sensitivity. And we found we find this uniqueness of our being. <laughs> Let me take a sip. Yeah, so meditation, I for me, it has become an absolute, it's part of my life. And will be part of my life for the rest of my life. Because the same way you drain your body and keep it in shape, and also like the older you get, <laughs> the more you have to put kind of like in. Same with meditation and your mind and your soul. But meditation is just one way. And I think it's so important to really emphasize this. If you listen to this and you're interested to kind of like develop a sensitivity for your inner world, there. A, don't let anyone tell you that there's only one way. 
there are many forms of meditation and mindfulness. And there's not one correct way. Try things out. See how you respond to it. And the key is, really the key is, how does it help you become self-aware about your inner world? How effective is it? That's the key takeaway. Really. And I can reassure you, whatever helps you to kind of like develop this, can get into this as an entry point, the journey will unfold quite naturally after that. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, in the end, meditation is also no activity of isolation, but it's action in everyday life which demands cooperation, sensitivity, and intelligence. Because again, one can argue, isn't very selfish to just focus on yourself? Meditation does is actually, it helps us to develop a sense of what is the nature of reality. And suddenly, actually, when you look inside yourself, you're just not looking inside yourself, but you look into how everything and everyone is connected. And suddenly from this inward look, it becomes a very outward love from this world, for this world. It becomes a sense of, wow, we're in this together. How can I contribute? How can I help others to contribute? Because we are all on the e an equal level here, actually. Yeah, so I think this is uh, this comes to an end to this episode. Mm. I really enjoyed it. I okay. <laughs> hope you enjoyed it too. <laughs> and um, there's going to be one more guest episode this month. Two guest episodes in this in January. And again, you listened so far. Uh, If you enjoy this podcast, please support it. Give it a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This helps the algorithm to recommend it beyond my social reach. Uh, recommend it to a friend if you feel like it. Most importantly, if you come back to listen to it, that, that means a lot. And if you're interested in Lumi, the self-awareness and holistic well-being app we are working on, you can go to Lumi. .io, so L-U-M-I-I.io and uh, you can sign up for an early access. It's going to be a very exclusive small round. They're going to be a bigger round early next year where we're going to promote it with also, yeah, with learnings from the first round. And we are very excited to get this in the people's hands. I think we feel like this is something that really can help yeah, millions of people to develop a sensitivity about the inner world and bring powerful tools for self-awareness, holistic well-being into the pocket in a very joyful experience, a very joyful way with no doctrines, with just a very yeah, playful and joyful way to self-awareness. Oh, <laughs> did you hear this? My, my stomach was very hungry. <laughs> I was crumbling. <laughs> okay, I heard it. <laughs> Anyways, I hope you enjoyed the episode. I wish you a wonderful day. Talk more next week and enjoy December. All right.